Well, of course, uh, this morning we come to the uh, Lord's table, the Lord's uh, supper. Uh, we have been in a study of the New Testament book of Hebrews, and uh, we have, uh, in that study, gone through chapter 3, or we're presently in chapter 3, and chapter 3 has been a warning, uh, a warning about not developing a hard heart of unbelief that would fail to trust God. And remember, this is a very brief review. Uh, He gave the example of the children of Israel after God had supernaturally delivered them from slavery in Egypt, uh, after He miraculously saved them from Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea, and after uh, providing for them in such wonderful ways and leading and guiding them. When they came to the promised land, that was their inheritance. God said, this is yours. In other words, I brought you out of Egypt to bring you into the promised land that it might be yours, this land flowing with milk and honey. What did they do? They shrunk back in unbelief, out of fear and anxiety. And they refused to take that step of faith. They refused to take that step of obedience. And as a result, there were, there were consequences, very serious consequences. And that generation never stepped foot in the promised land. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. God still loved them. He still cared for them, provided for them. But because of their unbelief, they missed the blessing God intended for them. And that can be true of us, sadly, as well. And that's why this chapter is here, to warn us, to admonish us not to make the same mistake, that we are to trust God and not miss the inheritance that He's given us, appropriating that and the many, many blessings. And last week, I shared a message on how to avoid a hard heart of unbelief. Uh, We focused on verse 13, and we said there in verse 13, there are two commands that are given. And if you obey those two commands, uh, you will be kept from a hard heart to no trust in God. And the first command was we're to take care of our hearts, and that's what we talked about last week. And then the second command that he gives is we are to encourage one another Uh, because of the uh, deceitfulness uh, of sin. And I just want to focus on that just a moment uh, before we enter the Lord's Supper. Now, for the Edgewood family, uh, I have driven home ever since I became pastor here at Edgewood that there are five primary purposes or objectives in celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, The first one is that we are to what? Remember, we're commanded as we come to this table to remember back to what Jesus did for us and what is ours. But we're also to look forward and we're to rejoice that He's coming back for His bride and that one day we will be delivered from this world of sin and adversity and pain and sickness. But then we're also to look within to a present Jesus to refresh our hearts. He's here, He's host of this table. And He wants to encounter us right here to meet us and to meet your heart's needs. And then we're to look up. We're to look up to reexamine our lives in the light of God's holiness to ensure that as we partake, there's nothing between us and God that we have not 
confessed and forsaken and made right. And there's nothing between us and another person that we have not sought to make right as far as it is possible with us. And then the fifth purpose, which is clearly seen in the Scripture, is we're to look around to one another. We're to care for one another. We're to encourage one another. So I I simply want to drive home. When we talk about encouragement, uh, this is one of the fundamental purposes of the Lord's Supper. Matter of fact, what's the purpose in coming to church every Sunday morning? Now, most people would say, somebody said quickly, worship, you know, praising God, getting under the instruction of His Word. But, you know, another just as important component is encouragement. You go to the 10th chapter of Hebrews, and it says we are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in order to encourage one another. So one of the primary purposes of us coming together each and every Sunday and not just in our Sunday school classes, but here in the context of corporate worship, is to encourage one another. So we should constantly be looking beyond ourselves to others and how we can minister to their needs. You know, and in light of that, uh, I'm going to be very brief because I'd like to allow a little more time than we normally do at the end of the Lord's Supper to minister to one another. For those of you that may be our guests, It has been the long-standing habit of our church that when we conclude the Lord's Supper, we have not concluded the service, but then we provide an opportunity for you to minister to one another, for you to express appreciation, for you to express encouragement, to pray over one another. We actually give you the freedom to stand up and move about. Uh, And then we conclude the service after a time of uh, that encouragement and fellowship. But what I did, and I thought you would be, uh, this would be very, very instructive. Uh, I was interested in looking at all of the one another passages in the New Testament. Uh, I discovered uh, 31 that talks about how we're to relate to one another as we come to church, as we uh, minister to one another uh, through uh, the week. And, uh, and let me just, I'm just going to read these through for you, and then we'll move right into the Lord's Supper And then, uh, uh, rather than the sermon being spoken today, let's do the sermon. Let's be the sermon in uh, in practicing these things with one another. So, I'm going to do this quickly. Uh, I'll be glad to uh, provide a handout on this maybe uh, next week, or we could put it in the edge if you're interested in getting all of these. Uh, But let me just run through them. Of course, in John 13, uh, matter of fact, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper is when he said this to his disciples, let me give you a new command, love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. What a statement. Because how did Jesus love his disciples? Unconditionally, warts and all. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. So, to love one another is what? To do for one another what Jesus did for you. And here they are. Here's the list. Romans 12.10, it says, be devoted to one another. 
And that's in the context of seeing the church as what? A family. We should have a family love. We're brothers and sisters with the same father, same brother Jesus. And therefore, like family, we're to be devoted to one another. We're to give preference to one another. Always putting others before ourselves. Romans 12, 16 says, be of the same mind toward one another. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, you clearly see in the context, because it goes on and it says, don't be haughty. We should all have that humility of mind. And then I love this. It says in that verse, but associate with the lowly. So that's what it means to be of the same mind, to be of that humble spirit that's not haughty, but is willing to associate with the lowly. Romans 14, 13, let us not judge one another. And in the context, it relates to preferences. That, you know, as Christians, we develop different preferences, whether it's uh, clothing styles, whether it's the way we wear our hair, or whether we have tattoos or don't have tattoos, whether we wear jewelry or don't have jewelry, whether we have piercings or don't have piercings, uh, the type of music we listen to. We have different preferences. And in the context of that, he says, don't judge one another. Know a love that's greater than those differences in, in things which are non-essentials. 14.19, and pursue the things which make for peace, for building up one another. I love that. Pursue those things which will bring about peace in the body, building up one another. Accept one another, Romans 15.7. And again, that's in the context of accepting one another as what? Christ accepted us. Romans 15, 14, admonish one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, care for one another. Have a caring heart, a tender heart that reaches out and ministers. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. 6, 1, restore one another. In other words, if a brother is struggling, if he's fallen into sin, don't gossip. Don't take the opportunity to beat that brother up. No, you should run to that brother. Put your arm around that brother and support that brother and pray for that brother to be restored. Matter of fact, you know, that word encouragement in the uh, uh, Greek New Testament, parakaleo, the word literally means to come along somebody's side. I like that. It's not face-to-face where I'm being confrontational. Now, there are times where we have to be confrontational. But the word encouragement means what? No, I come along their side. I'm putting my arm around them to encourage them, to be their, to be their cheerleader. And matter of fact, that's the same word that's used for what? The person of the Holy Spirit, who God has given to come along our side and to carry us. And then it says, um, um, bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6.2. Uh, God never tended any Christian to live in isolation, uh, to live as a lone ranger. Uh, we exist to help one another. Uh, Ephesians 4.2, show patience to one another. 4.32, be kind to one another. 5.21, be subject to one another, be submissive to one another. And, and again, you know that word, we often miss this. When we talk about submissiveness, we always typically think of authority and chain of command, and that is in the word. I acknowledge that. But also in this Greek word is the thought that someone is, is having to deal with a heavy load and us coming up under and helping them shoulder that burden as well. Uh, 
Philippians 2.3, regard one another more important than yourself. You know, it's have the attitude as, as you relate to others that they're more valuable, they're a treasure, they're important. Therefore, you're going to invest in that which is important. Uh, Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. 3.13, bear with one another. Forgive one another. That passage also says, you know, don't hold a grudge against a brother or a sister in the Lord. But forgive as Christ forgave you. 3.16, teach and admonish one another. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, increase and abound in love for one another. 4.18, comfort one another. 5.13, live in peace with one another. And then, of course, Hebrews 3.13, we've already looked at that. Encourage one another. I alluded to 10.24, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. James 4.11, do not slander one another. In other words, we should not say hurtful words. We should say helpful words that build up, that encourage. 5.9, do not complain against one another. 5.16, pray for one another. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another. 5.5, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And in 1 John 1.7, fellowship with one another. Amen? So as we come out of the Lord's Supper, we want to do the sermon. We want to practice the sermon. Uh, as we minister to one another. And as we go into the Lord's Supper now, Jesus also said on that very night, you remember He washed the disciples' feet um, the same night that they had the Lord's Supper on that very same occasion. And He made this comment to His men. Then He said, Do you understand what I've done to you? Referring to the washing of their feet. Do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. I mean, he was their teacher. He was their master. He was their supreme authority. That is what I am, Jesus says. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I have laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do to one another. Amen? As you know, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread, and the Bible says after He broke it, uh, He gave thanks, saying, this is my body given for you. His body given on the cross to bear your sins, to cancel out your sin debt, to impute His righteousness to you, to give you a right standing before God. And then it says, after the supper, He took the cup. And He says, this cup represents the new covenant that is literally cut or established by my blood. Of course, at the time he spoke that, the blood that would be shed future tense. Now we look back to that blood and what it accomplished for us. And that blood what? Washes us from our sins. He says, I will remember your sin no more. As a result of the work of Christ who bore your sin who bore your judgment, bore your penalty, 
Now God has a disposition of love towards you. Even when you fail, He's there to encourage, to pick you up, to guide you on. And not only pardon, but purity of heart, a new heart. Not only purity of heart, but God's presence in us. Because the essence of Christianity is what? A person's heart becoming Christ's home, where He dwells with us. So would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we come to the Lord's table, to this time of celebration, we bless you. We thank you for your body given on Calvary's cross to bear our sins that we might know eternal life. Thank you for your blood that was shed there on Calvary's tree that has opened the way into your presence so that we can come without shame before you and confidence before you to make our needs known. And as we have seen already in our study of the book of Hebrews, that when we come, we come to a merciful God, a faithful God, who is moved by the cries of His children, a God who is not um, unfamiliar with our infirmities because Jesus became one of us, and He understands So, Father, minister in our midst now as we remember, as we remember Jesus, who He is, what He accomplished, as as we remember He is here to minister to us now. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.